Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. My brother and I were hiking in the mountains, and as we were driving back home, um, it had just gotten dark, and we um, hit a moose. It rolled um, on top of the car and crushed me and broke my neck. And everyone else in the car was okay, but I broke my neck in three places. We needed to put a halo brace um, on me. And so um, I was in a lot of pain and there was these this one nurse who came over. She could tell that I was like panicking and, and really in pain. And I don't know how she knew I was a believer, but she just leaned over and um, she be, she would just come over and pray in my ear as we were as I was laying on the bed and try and kind of comfort me and pray for me. And then while I was in there, I had a pulmonary embolism, a blood clot in my lungs, uh, which was very serious as well. So it was very touch and go for quite a while about whether I would make it and. Um, if I was going to be paralyzed from the neck down. I just remember being in so much pain I couldn't think, and I just remember clearly thinking that God uses circumstances for His glory and for my good, and that was something that just carried me through um, my time in the hospital and the first really, really difficult month. It was just very scary to think that everything that you have known in your whole life might not be the same anymore. You know, you might die, you might um, not be able to move anymore. All of my plans were completely gone. You just realize the things that really matter because you just realize how little control you have over your life. It also really kind of brought everything into perspective in this one really clear moment in my mind of what I'm living for and what I want to be able to bring when I, when that moment finally does come for me. So I remember thinking um, in the hospital that God would use these things for His glory and for my eternal good. And I just had this, um, this urgency, I guess, that I needed to share, this, the hope that I had. And so God gave me opportunity after opportunity to be able to do that, specifically in the hospital. My first roommate is a very old lady named Golden. And she um, was so sweet to me. In our couple of days together, she, um, we built a bit of a friendship. And I just got to hold Golden's hand for a second and just say, Golden, I want you to know that I love Jesus very much and he really um, loves you. And I think that's something you, should, you need to know. It was cool to feel like I could do that and be bold in that way and share that with people. An old friend of mine who's a um, strong atheist and he came to visit me in the hospital and, and I, cried <laughs> and just um, said to him, I need to know that I've told you that um, Jesus is the only way and I need you to figure out what your questions with God are and um, I need to know that I've told you that and I, and I want you to come to that belief. I didn't see anyone fall to their knees and come to know God in that moment, but it was so encouraging for me to feel like even though I was hurt and um, couldn't really do anything, that God was using me and I could see that, this, that there was a purpose. And that was, I think, just an encouragement for me. So I was just thankful for those opportunities to share as well. 
I could not have even imagined the ways that people just reached out to me during that time. I was never alone at the hospital. Um, we had to turn people away a lot of the time because there was too many visitors coming to see me. And one of the nurses, she came to me and she just said, we've never seen someone get so many visitors. Why are, like, there's just people here all the time. And so it was such a cool opportunity for me to get to say, like, I, you know, I'm a Christian and this is my church and this is what, um, you know, we do for each other is um, they know I'm hurting and so they're an amazing community that can help me. We had a healing service for me in the prayer chapel and um, had a lot of people pray over me and anointed me with oil and we just asked for God's healing on my neck and for a full and complete healing. We saw that happen um, over the course of the next couple of months, how I didn't need surgery, how the bones healed, the ligament reattached. There's many million little miracles that happened with that and we saw God just return me to full health. There's a story in Joshua of when he um, takes stones and builds an altar um, to remember the miracle that God performed for the Israelites. And we felt like that was something that we should do. Um, so we had everyone at the service share a story, a way that they saw God working or um, an answer to prayer and, they, and place a stone. Um, later that day, me and my family went out to the accident site and we laid the stones um, at the place of the accident and built an altar there and just spent time thanking the Lord and recognizing what He had done. God has just given me more of a heart of gratitude, even my ability to move, that it's, um, it's a gift from Him. He's given this to me for His purposes or um, my ability to breathe, my ability to, to think, all these things that I thought might be taken away in the accident. I'm just, I'm so thankful for them now to be able to go for a run. Little things like that are a big deal to me. I think all of us at one point or another have realized that there's gonna be painful and really difficult times, um, but that we can look forward to the hope of heaven. I am a lot more aware of um, the time that I have. I, I don't take it for granted as much. I want to um, have a purpose in the things that I'm doing and have and be doing things that have eternal value. So I think God just challenged me and it, just a, a constant reminder for me that my life um, is not my own um, and I'm here for a time and for a purpose and God's asking me to use that. Greetings to all of you. We are continuing our summer series, Follow Me, where we are exploring the great invitation of Jesus to every single person in this world to become his followers. The sermon series is about the journey of discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus in a real world. And we are looking at this from different angles. And I want to welcome all those watching from our various regionals the Crowfoot Theatres in Northwest Calgary, our regionals in Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to say hello to our online audience as well. You know, on an average, about 2,000 people watch our services uh, on the weekend on the internet. So that's something exciting, and we celebrate that. We've had an interesting summer this year, haven't we? With lots and lots of rain, thunderstorms, and hail. About three weeks ago, the northeast part of Calgary got hit by a big hailstorm. 
Our family was away when it happened, and when we returned back home, we saw the damage that the hail had done to our home. There were several holes on the sidings of the house and a little bit of damage to our roof and to our garage. As I walked around the neighborhood and surveyed all the houses, I realized our home got the worst hit in the entire street. (laughs) And suddenly, a not very godly thought came to my mind. (laughs) It happens once in a while. As far as I know, my family and I, we are the only followers of Jesus in the entire street. So I wondered, wouldn't it be great if God had prevented our home from getting hit by hail? That the angels will all stand guard and spread their wings and block all these golf ball-sized hail and send them in the direction of our not-so-friendly neighbor? (laughs) And when others in the neighborhood find out that our home doesn't even have a scratch, they will ask, how come you don't have any hail damage? And we could have responded, well, that's because we follow Jesus. <laughs> Jesus saves, not just from hell, but also from hail. <laughs> and as I said, it wasn't a very godly thought. For God doesn't always protect his people from the troubles of the world. It wouldn't take you very long in the Christian journey to figure this out. The Christian life is not a bed of roses. And followers of Christ are not exempted from the suffering of this world. Our discipleship journey will involve trials and tribulations. In fact, the New Testament says this repeatedly. The more serious you are about following Jesus, the more you will suffer for his name. Christians are not always shielded from life's tragedies, sickness, marriage problems, relational struggles, job losses, accidents. In a world that is in turbulence and chaos, followers of Christ cannot expect to sail through life in calm waters. And it's because Jesus has not promised us a problem-free, trouble-free, carefree, easy life. But we do have the promise of his presence and his comfort. How do we face the very challenges of life in our journey of discipleship? That's our focus for today. I want to continue where we left last weekend, the story of uh, Martha and Mary. Both Martha and Mary loved Jesus so much. Martha served Jesus sacrificially every time he came to their home. And Mary was always delighted to see Jesus, to worship him and listen to his voice. This family was so close to Jesus that Jesus called them his friends. It's not Jesus, uh, it's not just Jesus who ministered to this family, but this family ministered to Jesus. Surely Jesus would save them from trials, wouldn't he? Martha and Mary were about to go through a very dark moment in their life. And Jesus was not even by their side. His absence was conspicuous. And John chapter 11 is an incredible passage of scripture filled with spiritual truths. I'm going to ask us to stand as we read our text for today from John 11 verses 17 to 44. 
on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Father, we come to you needing your comfort, needing to hear your voice, because your word says, if we believe, we will see the glory of God. I pray, Lord, even in the midst of trials and tribulations, testings and challenges, you will give us the gift of faith that we will continue to believe and continue to hold on to you and your promises. 
Lord, when we do that, we do see your glory. Lord, I ask that you will personalize this message to every single person here, that you will speak to us individually, that we will hear your still small voice. We commit this time into your hands to the leading of your spirit. We pray this in the most powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. It's interesting that our passage again and again emphasizes Jesus' love for Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Because when you read this passage, someone may actually doubt Jesus' love for this family. Jesus received this desperate request for help, not from a casual acquaintance, but this is from his inner circle of friends. So you would expect that Jesus would leave everything else and run to their defense, respond to their desperate plea, heal Lazarus, and make everyone happy. But when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he deliberately stayed where he was for two more days. Imagine if you're calling 911 in a time of emergency and you say, hurry, I need help now. And the dispatcher says to you, don't worry, we have taken note of the situation. We'll be there in a couple of days. How comforting is that? That's why both Martha and Mary had the same identical question when they met Jesus after Lazarus died. This question arises out of our disappointments with God. It's that question we have today when we go through difficult times. Why didn't God do anything about my situation? If only Jesus had stepped in, this terrible thing wouldn't have happened to me. The problem of pain is an age-old problem, and so much has been said and written on this one subject. You know, I don't think I can solve the dilemma of pain and suffering in one sermon, but what I intend to do is to offer some comforting thoughts that will bring consolation to a suffering soul. Firstly, God can use your trials for His purposes. Martha and Mary had to go through this because Jesus had a purpose for this trial. It was not a random event happening in their life. This was not just an accident. But God's hand undergirded this entire experience, watching over them. As soon as Jesus received word that Lazarus was sick, look at the very first thing Jesus said. In John 11, verses 3 and 4, So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. This entire episode was not about Martha or Mary or Lazarus, but it was all about God's glory. The end result of this scorching trial would be the glory of God's name. Jesus would look amazing through what was about to take place in and through this trial. What if the suffering that you're enduring in your life is not about you, 
but it's about God's glory. It's to make Jesus look amazing in your eyes and in the eyes of those who are around you. See, if Jesus had healed Lazarus instantly, it would have been a miracle. But Jesus had something far better in mind. He consciously delayed going to Bethany and allowed Lazarus to die. There was a superstitious belief in Jesus' time that for three days the spirit of the departed person would hover around the dead body and would leave at the end of the third day. That may be the reason why Jesus waited for four days until Lazarus was really, really dead, so no one could call this miracle a resuscitation. What Jesus was about to do was not even conceived in the wildest dreams of any human being. There would be no logical explanation for this miracle, and everyone got to see the power of God on full display. And through this miracle, Jesus demonstrated his character to the family he loved so much. And through this incident, he demonstrates his character to every single believer in history. Now here are these words, uh, profound words from Pastor John Piper. Don't measure the love of God for you by how much health and wealth and comfort he brings into your life. If that were the measure of God's love, and he hated the Apostle Paul. Measure God's love for you by how much of himself he shows you. How much of himself he gives you to know and enjoy. Jesus used Martha and Mary's dark moment to reveal himself to them like never before. And that happens today. While we want to get rid of our problems instantly, God wants to use those very problems to reveal more of himself to us. When we suffer as Christians, our suffering is never meaningless. But God accomplishes his divine purposes in the midst of your trials. I don't know about you, but to me that's comforting. Now, I want us to notice how Jesus responded to Martha and Mary's grief. Both Martha and Mary had identical questions. They used the same words verbatim. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. However, Jesus doesn't give an identical response to both of them. His response to Martha and his response to Mary are strikingly different. In his book, Encounters with Jesus, Tim Keller points out, to Martha, Jesus had such strong, stirring words, but he was practically speechless in his response to Mary. To Martha, Jesus offered a theological discourse, but when Mary asked him the same identical question, Jesus doesn't give a verbal response to Mary. Instead, he comes alongside her in her grief, and he shed tears. In her moment of sorrow, Martha needed to hear and be reminded of the words of truth. In her moment of grief, Mary didn't need more truths. She needed God's comforting presence. 
when we comfort people in suffering, there's a place for theological truths. For truth alone can set someone free. Truth alone will give you the right perspective in the midst of your suffering. It is essential that we share truths. But there are other times when our words will not do. And all we need to do is to be silent and weep. And that can minister far greater comfort than anything we can possibly say. Now let's look at uh, Jesus' interaction with Martha. Verses 21 to 26. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So when Martha met Jesus four days after Lazarus' death, the first question that she had for him was, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Behind those polished, refined words lie such agony. Jesus, do you have any idea of what me and Mary went through? We put our hope in you that you will save our brother's life. Why did you fail to come to our rescue in the time of our life we needed you most? And in that heightened moment of grief, when Martha felt let down by Jesus, Jesus reveals to Martha a profound truth about himself. The uniqueness of Jesus and the power of his claims serve as an anchor for the suffering soul. It gives us a sure foundation to stand on, even when everything around us are crumbling and falling apart. When Jesus mentioned to Martha about the resurrection, Martha understood the resurrection as a distant, faraway event of the future. It was not a living reality for her. It was remote, out of sight, and out of reach. Jesus spoke these incredible words in the Gospel of John to a woman who was plunged in her grief, sunk in depths of sorrow. Jesus says to her, Martha, I want you to know I am the resurrection and the life. I don't just give a teaching or lecture on the resurrection. I am it. In me lies power over death. I am the sole exclusive provider of life. This resurrection is not just far away, distant event that will happen in the future. Martha, if you live in fellowship with me, you already possess the resurrected life. And what Jesus says next is mind-blowing. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Death is not the end of a Christian. Death will not have the last laugh. 
Because we serve a Savior who suffered and died, was resurrected, and now He reigns triumphant on high, and He gives this promise that even though we die, we will still live. And then Jesus says something even stronger. Are you ready for this? Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Can you see the incredible power of that statement? Who in the world can ever say something like that? If you believe in me, you will never die. Never. You won't die. If you're a follower of Christ, that's a promise for you. Because when death happens, the curtains do not come down. The candle doesn't go out. Suffering is not the end result because Christians do not die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Oh, we will go through biological death. We will. But this is what Jesus means here, and it is so profound. The biological or physical death will not affect the continuity of our existence in Christ. For death is merely a transition point. For Jesus has imparted life to us. And this life is eternal and absolutely nothing can extinguish this life. Do you know that? You don't receive eternal life when you go to heaven. You have eternal life already. It's been given to us, life abundant and full in Christ. And no amount of suffering, sorrow, pain, not even physical death can rob us of the life that we have in Jesus. That's why he would look at Martha in her moment of grief and say, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. I don't know about you, but oh, that's comforting to me. Now, I want us to focus on how Jesus responded to Mary's question. It's the same question. She uses identical words as Martha. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But Jesus does not give the same answer to Mary. His response is so different. Look at verses 32 to 35. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. New Testament scholar D.A. Carson points out that the phrase Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled is a plain flat-out mistake in translation. The word used there literally means he was outraged. So the New Living Translation does a better job in translating John 11:33. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. Now that's interesting. Why was Jesus outraged? It 
It's not because Jesus was powerless at the face of death. This is not an anger coming out of frustration. And I don't think Jesus is angry at Martha or Mary or the rest of the crowd around Lazarus' tomb. Jesus was outraged at death itself because it is the ultimate form of suffering. Carson again points out, suffering and death were a judicial response of God to a warped human rebellion. This was not in God's original plan when he created the world, but rather it came as a result of sin. And when death strikes, it brings loss. It's tragic. That's why the scripture calls death as an enemy. As much as Christians have victory over death, let's not underestimate its effect on the loved ones that the departed person leaves behind. When I look at the face of a mother who has just lost her son or daughter, I see the crassness of death, the horror behind it, the force of its fury. Death is repulsive because it creates separation. It destroys relationships. Suffering and death are not friends. They are enemies, fierce enemies, formidable foes. And Jesus was angry at suffering and death. He was furious. He was incensed. And along with the outrage, you see something you don't normally associate with God. His tears. This is not a fit of rage of a maniac. This is not blind fury. But this anger is rooted in Christ's compassion, resulting in Jesus weeping. So standing in front of Lazarus' tomb, Jesus expressed rage as well as anguish. When he saw the crying and wailing around Lazarus' tomb, when he noticed the heartbreak of the two sisters, the pain and sorrow and devastation that suffering and death inflicts on humanity, that moment Jesus felt it in his guts. There were groans that came from the depth of his spirit, and he broke into unrestrained tears. Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. But these two words mean so much. The Greek concept of God was a being with no emotions and who will have no messy involvement with humans. The worldview of deism says God created the world and has gone on a long celestial holiday. He will have no involvement in messy human affairs. He has created the world with the ability to run its own course like a watchmaker makes a watch and leaves it to work on its own. So according to this worldview, God remains distant and refuses to involve in the affairs of human beings. Such concepts of God are foreign to the Bible. The Bible presents God as a being with emotions and feelings. He's not impassive or apathetic. He's deeply involved in our lives. 
An article in Christianity Today describes the emotions of Jesus in this way. The writer of the article says, I'm spellbound by the intensity of Jesus' emotions. Not a twinge of pity, but heartbroken compassion. Not a passing irritation, but terrifying anger. Not a silent tear, but groans of anguish. Not a weak smile, but ecstatic celebration. Jesus' emotions are like a mountain river cascading with clear water. The reason we as human beings have the range of emotions is because we are made in God's image. Does Jesus understand <coughs> excuse me, does Jesus understand our deepest sorrows, our greatest regrets? the crushing moments of our disappointments. Of course he does. Not just because he's an all-knowing God. He knows it from experience. And I tell you, that's so different. Jesus knows the pain of strained relationship with family. His own family thought he was crazy. Jesus knows what it means to be criticized and unappreciated. He faced that all through his ministry. Jesus knew what it means to be lonely. There was not a single person in his earthly life in whom he could fully confide. Jesus knows what it means to be betrayed. His own disciple turned on him. Jesus knows what it means to be depressed as he cried out in the garden of Gethsemane, crushed by a heavy load of grief, causing his sweat to turn into blood. And Jesus knows what excruciating pain is all about because he was tortured on the cross, the most painful form of death that human beings have ever invented. The origin of the word excruciating is Latin, and it literally means out of the cross. Crucifixion is a defining word for pain. There's no sorrow you and I will ever go through that Jesus is not familiar with. When Martha and Mary were thinking deep inside their heart, Jesus, you let us down. You were not there for us when we needed you most. Do you have any idea of the agony we went through when we gave false promises to our brother and saw him die in front of our eyes? In response to these accusations, Jesus wept. This is God expressing solidarity with the sufferer. He is moved with emotions over the suffering of the ones whom he loved so much. And during moments in your life and my life, when we are all alone and in our hearts we are saying, is there anyone who understands my pain? Is there anyone who knows what I am feeling right now? Jesus alone can say, yes, I do understand. I know how you're feeling right now. This is not a God who's way up there in heaven sitting in a royal seat. But this is the God who came into the world in order to embrace our pain into the mire and muck of our suffering. And he deeply identifies with us. This is Emmanuel, 
God who is on our side. Now standing in front of Lazarus' tomb, Jesus was angry at death. He shed tears for he identified with the suffering of his friends. He doesn't stop there. Jesus did something that he alone can do. He reversed death. He defeated our greatest enemy. Look at verses 43 and 44. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. You have to picture the scene in your mind. This was amazing. Nobody must have moved. They were all shell-shocked. People had literally frozen. But this is not a scene that you would normally witness in a funeral. Lazarus, dead for four days, was now hobbling around in his grave clothes. And nobody even dared to go near Lazarus and touch him. And Jesus had to say, can someone help Lazarus and get him off these grave clothes? You know, as amazing as this miracle is, this is just a preview. It's like a trailer advertisement to a movie. This, it just showcases what is to come. For one day, the same Jesus who called Lazarus by name would call your name and my name and all the names of those who have trusted in him. And we will rise from the dead and we will be in his presence. And the Bible says on that day, there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more heartbreaks, and God himself will wipe our tears. This is the hope of the gospel. I don't know about you, but oh, that's comforting to me. The most important question Jesus asked in this passage is, do you believe this? Do you believe this? That when you die, the next conscious experience will be the voice of Jesus calling you by name. If you came to church today and you don't have that hope, you can leave the church with that assurance. For if you believe in him, if you call on his name, you will never die. That's his promise. Let me say this in closing. Author Philip Yancey writes, the Bible never belittles human disappointments, but it does add one key word, temporary. What a reminder it is. Because the problems and difficulties of life will become small, when we view them in light of the grand hope that Jesus has given to us. You know, when my wife makes some of those uh, finest East Indian dishes, she's an amazing cook. 
she will stand for hours in the kitchen and work on all the raw materials, cutting the onions and grinding all kinds of spices, while the kids and I are complaining because the smell is so strong and we are sneezing, our eyes are watery. It's not very pleasant. But then comes that moment when the food is all prepared and we are sitting in the dining table ready for a feast and I have long forgotten those uh, watery eyes and unpleasant feelings because we are about to enjoy this great feast. In fact, there's very little conversations around our dinner table because we're so busy eating. (laughs) Isn't that the same way in life? That inconveniences of the journey become small in light of the grand outcome, the destination to which you and I are headed. I don't know about you, but oh, that's comforting to me. You know, as we come to an end, I want to pray for those of you who feel like you're going through a difficult season in your life. And you feel that you're not able to understand why, why you're going through what you're going through. You asked all those why questions to God and you have received little answers. If your heart is hurting today, Jesus wants to minister his comfort to you personally. Jesus' spirit is called the comforter and he wants to reach out to you in your moment of pain. So I'm going to ask us to maintain a moment of silence right now and just soak on all that you've heard, the promises of God and his character and the purpose that he has behind our trials. Allow the Spirit to just speak to you and bring a comfort that He alone can bring in your life. comfort from Jesus this morning. May I ask you to stand where you are so I can pray for you. If you're going through a difficult time and you want God to comfort you, to help you make sense of your suffering, just stand wherever you are. I want to pray for you. You know, I see several people standing right now you see someone beside you who's standing, would you just reach out to them and uh, gently put your hands around them as we pray? 
The Bible says when one part of the body suffers, the whole body feels the pain. So we share in our sufferings as a family. And this is an opportunity for us to be agents of God's comfort. So let's look to God, seeking for His touch even right now. Father God, thank you for your precious promise. The promise that we have and we believe in you. We will see the glory of God. Sometimes you demonstrate that glory by removing our pain. And sometimes you demonstrate that glory by walking with us through our pain. But no matter what, we are blessed. We are blessed to be part of your family. Blessed to be able to hear your voice. And to know that you will never leave us or forsake us. But your promises are faithful even in our moments of weakness. Thank you, Lord, that you understand our pain. I pray for every person standing right now. Lord, minister your comfort to them in a way that you alone can. Grant them a fresh new touch from above. Minister to them in the power of your spirit that you will remove the discouragements Remove the anxiety and the fear of the unknown and let their heart feel a new awakening of faith because you have our lives in the palm of your hands. Nothing can happen to us unless it first goes through you. So Lord, we pray every person here will sense your compassion, your unconditional love, that you will embrace us, Lord, in your loving arms and walk with us every step of the way. Even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit May rest and abide with each and every one of us with now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.